Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Daniel Hornick. Good to be with you. All right. I just wanted to make sure I was talking to the right person. (laughs) Deputy Director of the National Economic Council. So let us know what the National Economic Council does, number one. But the question I also want to ask you is, we're ta- we've talked to Treasury, we have a small business association today, uh, someone from the Council of Economic Advisors, and now the National Economic Council. It sounds like a lot of people who might do the same thing. <laughs> so I need you to tell me why we need all, all of those things and what you all do. So our job on the economic team, as you laid out there, all these offices that sound like they do the same thing. Our job is to try to coordinate all those offices so that we are rowing in the same direction in implementing the president's economic agenda, making sure that the president has the economic advice and information he needs to make the decisions that he has to make about the economy, mm-hmm. uh, and helping to formulate the policies that go into his budget, uh, that, that go into what our agencies are doing in terms of administrative actions. So, we try to be the, the, the coordinator across the president's economic team to make sure that we're all uh, really doing what we can to fulfill his vision of building a bottom-up and middle-out econ- economy. And are you primarily domestic in your focus, or do you deal with the international dynamics that impact the, the economy as well? You know, I primarily deal with domestic issues, mm-hmm. but you know, in a world where so much of kind of the day-to-day economic realities that Americans face are impacted by what's going on throughout the world. It, of course, is a part of what we do. Then let's talk about that. There's a lot going on throughout the world. Um, how does... Let me just throw some... There's a lot going on in Africa, right? There's wars going on in Ukraine. There's, there's war in Gaza. There's this... We hear framed as the impending threat of China and China's rise economically. We have the BRICS. Um, how do those things factor into the advice framework that you give and offer to the president? Yeah. I think there, there's two important things. The first is our economic and uh, our domestic economic and our international economic policy are so linked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it always starts with the domestic in making sure we're doing everything we can to build a strong economy here in America, making sure we're promoting policies that lift up workers uh, and working families here in America. And then, of course, you know, always being mindful of what's going on in the world and the way that could impact American families and their economic well-being, whether it's uh, disruptions to our global energy markets and what that could mean for gas prices of folks in America, what it means uh, if, if disruptions to supply chains could impact mm-hmm. uh, folks right here in the U.S. So, it's working, I think, on both of those issues, but always with the North Star that we need to build an economy where working families in this country have more breathing room, more economic opportunity, the ability to create wealth for them and their, and their families. So we just came through what people call the, the COVID crisis um, and it had an impact on a lot of the things you just mentioned, the yeah. su- supply chain. One of the strategies for relief was quantitative easing. And so all of a sudden money was just flooded into this economy. Some people, like for instance, where I live in Philadelphia, we we look at that and say, okay, though it was a good thing, people got stimulus checks and things of that nature. It also put a lot of money into the banking system, and that money has not come back to people. As a matter of fact, investors have used that money to buy up properties. It's in many ways, it's had an adverse impact on the low-income people of the nation. 
So as you reflect back on those kind of strategies, what role, what would you do differently? Yeah. What, what do you accept about the premise, number one? And what would you do differently, given that what was supposed to be helpful by some accounts might have been more harmful than helpful? Yeah. You know, I think it is useful to look at the policies under this recovery, under this president, mm -hmm. compared to some of the prior downturns that we've had, economic downturns that we've had. This president and this vice president were insistent when they came into office that part of what they were going to do was direct relief to families who needed it, mm -hmm. direct relief to small businesses that needed it. So we had those uh, stimulus checks that helped folks not just uh, make sure they were continuing to support their families, but do things like pay down debt, uh, improve their balance sheets, improve their household finances. Small businesses and communities throughout the country, including uh, you know, in, in, in hard-hit communities, keeping folks on the job uh, because they had that relief directly provided to them. And so, you know, I actually think that if you compare this recovery to prior recoveries and look at things like the fact that uh, we got the unemployment rate back down to below 4% much faster than in prior recoveries. We've got you know, millions of jobs created in a way that uh, wasn't the case uh, in prior recoveries. Mm -hmm. I think you know, there are always going to be things you would do differently. There are always going to be facts you, you'd look at and say, you know, it's, it's, we, we should have had various parts of the recovery more broadly shared. That's always going to be the case. But this recovery, I think, was in many ways one of the most equitable uh, and strong recoveries for working families that we've had in the history of this country. Um, I just do quick, quick examples if I if I can. Um, you know, if you look at um, uh, wages, which is so important mm -hmm. for uh, whether people are able to provide for their families, uh, inflation-adjusted wages for the typical black worker are up seven point one percent relative to before the pandemic. That's okay. actually more than for the overall workers, 2.5%. Uh, and, and that's in part because of this relief directly to households, spurring a strong recovery that really, I think, was a bottom-up, middle-out recovery. So, one of the numbers or one of the factors that we also hear is to tout Black economic recovery is this decreased unemployment, yeah. right? Historically. Yeah. But unemployment is not necessarily the best measure of yeah. economic well-being. So, what are some of the other areas? Yeah. yeah. So, you're right. Um, you know, we have talked a lot about the fact that the uh, unemployment rate for 2023 for black workers hit the uh, all-time low. The gap between white and black Actually, workers. Can, yeah. can you do this for me? Yeah. Can you explain to people yeah. why unemployment might not be the best measure sure. of economic well-being before you continue? Your sure. Answer? I think the reason it might not be the best indicator of well-being is because for folks who keep their jobs throughout that period, you care about other things too. You care about are their wages going up? You care about is their wealth going up? Are they able to build more wealth, create more opportunities for their families? Whether or not people are unemployed is one measure of that. But as you say, it's not the only right. uh, measure of Can that. Can you also talk about what unemployment doesn't count, though? There, there's a group of people who, if they're, yeah. they've given up looking for work, yeah. many of people I work with, they're not even counted in the unemployment number. So, talk about who's not counted when we talk about unemployment. Yeah. So, it doesn't... Uh, uh, unemployment is basically uh, people who have jobs... Uh, or people who, who who don't have jobs, but it doesn't include 
um, people who have left the labor force, as you say. So now to get really in the weeds, one thing we kind of try to look at that does include that is we look at the percentage of the population that has a job, mm -hmm. because that then is including uh, people who uh, uh, left the labor force, right? And so even if you look at a number like that, the black employment to population ratio got up to a very high number in 2023, one of its highest on records. That's a really important accomplishment. But it's not just, as you say, unemployment, employment. We have to look at incomes. We have to look at wealth. Right. One of the things that I think is really notable about this recovery is that um, wealth among black households is up 60% after accounting for inflation. Uh, the share of black households who own businesses has doubled since 2019. Um, we've, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about is the fact that this administration uh, set a goal of 15% of procurement dollars going to small disadvantaged businesses by 2025. Um, that is one of the reasons that we've seen this increase in business ownership among black households. So, to your point, we have to look way broader than just employment and unemployment. It has to be how are you helping create wealth for folks and business ownership, home ownership. Those are big parts of that. I read somewhere and I don't know how true it is. My numbers might be off because I'm going by memory. <laughs> and the headline was at the current rate, it would take black households 320 years to catch up to white households regarding wealth. We don't have 320 years. So are there <laughs> other things we can begin to look at? Because the premise is if we do things the way we're doing them, what are some things we would need to do differently as a nation yeah. if equity was the goal? Yeah. Um, I think we need to do more to promote small business ownership. We need to do more to promote home ownership. Those are two important ways that folks build wealth. But part of the gap isn't just about the lack of opportunity in wealth building for black families. It's also about the ways that our tax code mm. provides advantages to folks who are already wealthy, who are disproportionately white, right? And so things like uh, the fact that the wealthiest households are able to do things like uh, never pay tax on mm -hmm. their investment gains and then just give those investment gains to their heirs, never ever taxed. That's not a thing. I mean, you know, folks who are uh, uh, relying on the income that they that they earn, uh, you know, middle class families, low income families, they're paying tax on what yeah. they owe. Yeah, we had to give up my grandmother's house so that she could get the Medicare Medicaid benefits we were just previously talking about when she went to a nursing home, right? So we had to figure. So we had to offer up the wealth <laughs> in order for her to get health care. So the 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 structure of this needs to be challenged. That's uh, right. If we're going to go for equity, so I'm glad to hear that that's on your agenda. I have a left field question. For yeah. You. In the pursuit of wealth, recently, many black households have, were convinced to invest in cryptocurrency. Your thoughts about cryptocurrency? <laughs> because the dollar is changing, right? Is you know, it's going to be a different form of currency probably with in a very soon future. What are your thoughts about? crypto and this being promoted in the black community as a form of wealth creation? What I'd say is that from our perspective, we need to make sure at the federal level that we have safeguards in place uh, so that consumer protections are followed, so that these markets are safe, uh, so that you have information out there and people aren't getting uh, in situations where uh, they don't have access to the right information. I, I, I wouldn't say anything 
you know, negative or positive about uh, the future of crypto, other than to say, just as is the case for stocks and bonds and bank accounts and more traditional forms of financial services, we need to make sure that uh, folks are protected and have the safeguards that they need. That is Daniel Horning. Or Horning. Say it right for me. Horning. I was close. <laughs> Deputy Director, National Economic Council, y'all. So if you want to understand where people get their advice from and who coordinates all of these different efforts that are going on economically in the nation, point to this young man right here. We are coming up on a commercial break when we come back. Our conversation. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 